It's one of those mornings where people keep texting me things that are going to make this hard to get through because they understand my sense of humor. And so, thank you for those that have been texting me. It makes this so much easier. Uh, What a good morning so far. Okay, let me try this over here. Are you guys having a good morning so far? Okay, are, are you guys awake this morning? There we go, okay. Sorry, I thought I was for a second somewhere else. Um, today we have, after services, our once a month um, lunch together. Um, and it's, today it's going to be out on the back property, out there where there's some play sets and fields and stuff. But there is food going to be back there, so if you didn't bring your lunch and you want to join, they are barbecuing some hot dogs and some stuff, so you can just head on out there after service and enjoy just time of connecting and being with each other. Awesome. You going to be there? Yes. Good morning, sir. How are you today? You doing well? Yep. Good. Awesome. Well, this morning, before I speak, we get to do something very special. We get to honor a couple people. Um, They've been with us for now for 10 years on staff. So would you please help me welcome up Amanda Platts and Kathy Phillips. Here, why don't you scoot up here? Don't, please don't stand behind me. <laughs> but these two amazing women have served here at the mission for now for 10 years. This year will be 10 years. It's amazing. I don't... Dang it. All right. Um... I hope, ah, ah, I hope you guys can appreciate what that really means. That this is they, what they do and for how long they've done it is unusual. That they've chosen to serve you for this long and still have their sanity. <laughs> now, actually, the real miracle is that they've dealt with me for the last five or six years and have kept their sanity. That, that's the real miracle here. But these two have poured their lives out to serve this community and this region and this world. Um, what they do, Kathy oversees our pastoral life here. And she just has such a heart of a pastor. She, I mean, she is a pastor in the truest sense. She, and she ministers from the most wise down to the little babies here. And she sees the value of it all and, and takes the time for the individual. And I so appreciate that about her, that she doesn't get lost in the big picture, even though she can see the big picture. But she goes after the one and makes sure the one feels loved and accepted and connected here at the mission. So thank you so much for all that you do. It's 
amazing. And Amanda, I remember meeting Amanda for the first time. She looked like she was 12 years old. I actually met her at my pub. It was the first time I ever met her. She was in the deeper school, and a, gr- a bunch of them came over to hang out on a Friday night or something, and I met her there for the first time. But she has served in our kids' department for over 10 years and just loving on our children, your children, and has such an ability to make every kid feel special. Even though she's talking to a whole group, the one kid feels like she's talking to them. And she goes out of her way to make every kid feel special and loved and that they have a destiny in Jesus. And so she's probably put up the most of my antics over the years. But the time she didn't understand, she trusted us. When I made life really difficult on her, she trusted that God knew what he was doing. I might not have known what I was doing, but God knew what he was doing. And she's come through it and has such an impact in this place. So thank you so much. You're amazing. So we have some flowers here for you. Just something to have today to commemorate. We also, the Council of Elders is so graciously set up now for staff members that have been here for 10 years. We'll have a month-long paid sabbatical during that 10th year for them to rest up and get re-energized and stuff. So Kathy will be going in May. So you won't see Kathy here for the month of May. It's not because she's leaving. She's just on sabbatical. And then Amanda will be the end of August, beginning of September. So they will be doing that. So So I want you guys, if you guys can come down here, I want to pray over them, but I want to allow you guys to come bless them and pray over them. So if we could have everyone stand, I want you guys to scoot out so people can get around you. So feel free to come and pray, lay your hands on them. I want you guys to spread out so people can get around you. Yeah, that means you guys out there, you have to move. And just release that their next 10 years will be more fruitful than their first 10 years. So just start praying over them. I'm going to give some time for you just to pray over them, and then I'll pray to close. And if you're out, out in your seats, put your hands towards them. Just release blessing over them and their families. So Jesus, we bless them. We declare that their next 10 years will be more fruitful than their first 10. That you'll bring help and strength to them. That the people that will come alongside of them, we call them in. We call them in so that your kingdom can be established. So we pray this prayer over him. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. 
The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. So continue to pray for them, and when they go on sabbatical, that they just have an amazing time and get that needed rest and recharge for this next season here at the mission. Are you guys excited about the next season at the mission? Yeah, I think the word for the day was being transplanted into a bigger pot, which means you're uncomfortable. I know you don't like that part. Neither do I. But when mom was sharing that, I had a thought, you know, in worship, there's sometimes there's that, you have a moment where things are a little uncomfortable and you don't know quite what to do or how to respond. And a lot of times we go, what is the band doing? I don't get what they're doing. I don't get where they're going. But I think it's actually that we've been transplanted into a bigger pot and we're just uncomfortable. And God's trying to show us something new in worship. So I would highly recommend, one, that you're here for worship. That, that's, that's a good start. <laughs> but when those uncomfortable, like, I don't get where the band's going. I don't, this doesn't sound right. That might actually be the Holy Spirit nudging you to get into a new place in worship. So I would just start having that conversation with the Holy Spirit when you get those uncomfortable times of going, okay, Holy Spirit, what are you trying to lead me into, into this new space? Can we do that together? Good. All right. Awesome. Well, if you have your Bibles, if you can open it to 2 Samuel 7. A couple weeks ago, uh, Dad talked about embracing your inheritance. He talked about that Esau didn't value his inheritance, and Jacob saw the value of it. So I'd highly recommend you go back and listen to it if you haven't. But today I want to talk about embracing the, embracing the generations. So we're going to look at two different kings that had very different values for the generations. So first we're going to look we're going to go look we're going to look at King David, which King David's my favorite king in all the Bible. Because he was a warrior. He he overcame so much in his life, but he always did it to serve God. He didn't do it for his own gain. He did it to serve God. So I love it. I, I mean, there's so much about his life that is just fun, little trick. One of my favorite things, wasn't planning on sharing this, but I, I just let you into my warped mind, is that when Absalom, his son, tried to take over the kingdom, and David was leaving Jerusalem, escaping, there was a guy up on the mountain making fun of him, basically, and taunting him. 
And his men were like, David, do you want us to go kill him? And he's like, no, no, let's go. Let's just move on. He's okay. Well, on David's deathbed, he's like, hey, remember that guy on the hill? Why don't you go take care of him now? He was awesome. I think that's where the saying, you know, revenge is best served cold came from. That's not what we're talking about today, but that's, I just love him. I think he's amazing. Okay, so, so at this point, we're going to be in um, 2 Samuel 7. David's become king. He's had time to establish his kingdom. And kind of there's peace in the land. And so now he's, he's sitting there in his palace. And this is before Solomon is even born. So this is early on. And he's having a conversation with the prophet Nathan. And he basically is like, hey, Nathan, we're sitting in my palace. But the ark of God is sitting in a tent. Like there's something wrong here. And Nathan just responds, hey, whatever you have in mind, go do it. God's for you. And so they're like, great, okay. Well, later on that night, God comes to Nathan and says, well, let's see about that. I have some words for you. I have, a, I, I have some words that I want you to go back to David with. And so I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's actually a pretty long prophecy, but I want to concentrate on this part of it. And this is Second Samuel 7, verse 11. It's about halfway through verse 11. It says the Lord, and this is uh, Nathan talking to David. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, ancestors I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. Your own flesh and blood and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So God basically says, David, you're not the guy. Love you. I'm going to establish your house. But you're not going to build my temple for me. And we know later by what some of David's writings and what he said. Is that God told him that, hey. You can't build my temple because you're a warrior and you have blood on your hands. You've shed too much blood to build my temple, okay? Because David was designed to be a warrior, not a builder. He was designed. So this wasn't a, hey, you've killed too many people, so it disqualified you. Because a lot of people associate that with Bathsheba and, and him killing her husband, Right? But this is before that even happens. Okay, so it's not that. It's not a condemnation of how he's lived his life. He was like, David, I have designed you to be a warrior. My temple needs to be built by someone that is a builder, not a warrior. And he says, your son will build the temple and his throne will be established forever. So David's like, okay, I'm good with that. 
And so we're going to fast forward. So this is early on in his kingship, his rule. Now we're going to fast forward to the end of his life. And in, in the middle there, a lot's happened. We know Absalom, one of his sons, tried to kick him out of the throne. Right? Tried to kill him. And he's had a bunch of kids in there too. A bunch of stuff happens. And now he's come to the end of his life. And what's really interesting is that in David's life, the generation that preceded him, so we'll call him the Abraham generation. We're not going to call it the old generation. But the Abraham generation, Saul tried to kill David. And then his son, which would be the Jacob generation, the younger generation, tried to kill him. So in David's life, the generation before him and the generation that's coming after him both tried to kill him. That's his life. That was his experience in life. Was that both generations are trying to kill me. But this is what he does with the temple. He declares that Solomon will be the next king. So he gathers everyone together. So talk about what is going to happen with building the temple. This is in First Chronicles uh, 29, verse 1. Then, the king, then King David said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great because his structure is not for man, but for the Lord God. With all my resources, I have provided for the temple of my God. Gold for gold work, silver for silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for iron, and wood for wood, as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise, stones of various colors, and all kinds of fine stones and marble, all of these in large quantities. Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasure of gold, silver, for the temple of the, my God. Over and above everything I have provided for this holy temple, 3,000 talents of gold and seven talents of refined silver for the overlaying of the walls of the buildings, for the gold work and the silver work, and for all the work to be done by the craftsmen. Now, who is willing to concentrate themselves to the Lord today? David so easily could have gone, the generation before me is trying to kill me. The generation after me is trying to kill me. I'm just going to live for myself. Right? He had all the reasons not to do what he just did. See, what David did when he got the word of the Lord that said, you're not building the temple, which means you will not see it. You will not be able to worship in it. You will not be enjoy, enjoy the splendor of it. But your son will. David said, okay. God said, I can't build it. But he didn't say, I can't do everything else. He didn't just throw up his hands and go, oh, well, it's on the next generation. I can't do it, so 
Good luck. I'm going to build my kingdom. But what David did was started a treasury and started collecting all the goods that were going to be needed to build the temple. See, he didn't wait until he got old to do it because there's no way he would have been able to accumulate all this in his last days. But from that point, through his rule, he started making preparations for the temple. He, drew the, got the, he brought in the craftsmen, the architects, to draw up what the temple is supposed to look like in all its splendor. So I think we forget when they talk about Solomon's temple, he was the one that built it, but he wasn't the one that designed it. He wasn't, it wasn't because of his wisdom that they had all the precious stones to put in the temple. He gets the credit for it, but it was actually David that transferred all the wealth to Solomon. Because it says even David gave out of his own treasure. And if you keep reading, then then people throughout Israel gave out of their treasure to the next generation. They already had what they needed for the temple. David already had everything they needed for the temple. And then they gave even more to a generation that they would never see or experience the temple in. Because David knew it was about generations. It wasn't about what can I do to make my generation great. It was what can I do to make the next generation great. And so he started collecting all this stuff. Not only stuff, but people. He he brought in the craftsmen. He brought in foreigners that knew how to be craftsmen and brought them all in. He built up the treasury. He didn't just wash his hands and say, hey, you tried to steal my kingdom. Good luck. I'm going to do this all for myself now. But he kept his eyes on the generation He saw past his own generation, and he gave out of his own personal treasure. He understood that God is a God of generations. You know, they always say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Isaac kind of gets a, not a bad rap, but he kind of gets forgotten in there. Because it seems like he didn't do a whole lot, right? You hear the stories of Abraham, you hear the stories of Jacob, but other than giving the birthright to the wrong son, you don't really hear about Isaac, which as a middle child, I find offensive. (laughs) Because the middle child is the best. But David understood being an Isaac was to take the treasures from the Abraham generation, build it, and pass it on to the Jacob generation. He knew he was in between the two. And he knew his greatest calling was to pass on the birthright, was to pass on the inheritance 
Now, that doesn't mean he just sat there and didn't do anything. That means he built his family and his wealth so that he could pass it on. It wasn't to keep for himself. And David understood that, so he passed it on. He had a kingdom mindset that was bigger than his own. So now we're going to fast forward 13 generations later. Okay? 13 generations. Hezekiah is now king of Judah, which is the tribe that David was from. At this point, the kingdom has been split between Israel and Judah. Um, Hezekiah, so he's the 13th descendant from David. Um, And it says, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So this was a good king. So we're going to pick up his story. This is 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 1. It says, in those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, this is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover. How many would love that from a prophet? (laughs) And we wonder why they killed the prophets. (laughs) So Hezekiah is sick. Gets a prophetic word that he's going to die. Here's his response. Verse 2. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed, To the Lord. Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion, and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah had left the middle court, the Lord the word of the Lord came to him. Go back and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David, says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. On the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life, and I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Syria. I will defend this city for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. So Hezekiah finds out he's going to die, cries out to God. God hears his cry. And says, hey, I hear your cry. I'm going to heal you. And I'm not only going to heal you, but you're going to have 15 more years of life. And in those 15 years, you're going to be delivered from the Syrians. And I'm going to defend your city. And the re- I find it really amazing here. The reason God said he's going to defend the city isn't for Hezekiah's sake says, I'm going to defend this city for my sake and for David's sake. He's been dead for 13 generations. But yet God is still honoring 13 generations later. He says, because of David's sake, I will defend the city. Because David chose to think generationally. Instead of just him. So 13 generations later, it's still being a blessing and favor on Judah. It's amazing. What we, the choices we make in our lifetime, how many generations later will they be blessed? 
How many generations will you impact by the choices you make in your life, that we make in our life? I I know we don't have a big enough mindset to think that 13 generations. I mean, especially in America. There hasn't been that many generations since we've become America. But 13 generations, God is still honoring David. So, the king of Babylon hears that Hezekiah has been sick. So he sends a convoy to see Hezekiah. And when they get there, Hezekiah opens up the doors and shows them everything. Kind of shows off, basically. He like, hey, look at all of my splendor. Look at all my storehouses. Look at all my treasures. Look at all my armory. And shows them everything. Which is a very foolish thing to do as a king. But he did it because he wanted to show off who he was. And Isaiah hears about this. And the prophet goes to Isaiah, and this is verse 16. says, Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. The time will surely come when everything in your palace... And all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood will be born to you, will be taken away, and they will become Enoch's in the palace of the king of Babylon. Or Eunuch, sorry. Eunuch's in the palace king of Babylon. So Isaiah comes, says, Hezekiah, basically you've done a very stupid thing. And because you've done this, everything's going to be taken away. And your descendants are going to pay the price. Because remember, God already promised them 15 years. He would deliver them from the Syrians and he would defend the city. In his lifetime, right? God's not taking that back. And Hezekiah knows this. But Isaiah is saying, hey, after you, your descendants will pay the price for what you've done. Remember his response when he found out he was going to be dead? What did he do? Cried out to the Lord. Let's look at his response here. Verse 17. This is his response. The word of the Lord you have spoken is good. Hezekiah replied. For he thought, will there not be peace and security in my lifetime? Hezekiah could only see the value of what he was doing. And this was a good king. This wasn't somebody, king, that was rebelling against God. But he knew his place was secure. And he was willing to trade the next generations for his security. What would have happened if he would have cried out? He knew God responded to him crying out. But he wanted his security, not the generations. 
He could only see himself. In this day and age, there's, in this room, there's basically three generations in this room. And see, David honored Saul even though he was trying to kill him. And then he honored the next generation by making sure that they had above and beyond what they needed to complete the temple and to move forward, even though they tried to kill him. But Hezekiah, hey, I'm good. I'm going to have a good 15 years. So why invest in the next generation? I'm gone. Who cares? And as people of God, a people of the mission, we have decided that the generations matter. That every generation matters. That the Abrahams in this room have extreme value. And we honor them. And they have wisdom and things that we need. I'm in the Isaac generation. I'm 45 years old. I'm in that in between the two. And then we have the Jacob generation. That's majority of them are over in that building right now. And we've decided that all generations are valuable. But we live our lives for the next generation. We live our lives so that they can build the dreams. That they can live in their lifetimes about the things that we have dreamed about. That God, please let them live those dreams if we can't. That doesn't mean we don't get to see dreams in our lifetime. Because we had generations before us that had dreams that were seen fulfilled. This building is a dream. I get to experience the dream of this building being built debt-free because the previous generation dreamed it. And I get to live in it. See, as a church, we have to think generationally. And I, I thank God that you guys do think that way. This isn't a, hey, we got to get into shape here. But we have to expand our minds beyond ourselves. In the kingdom, it's about the generations that will come after us. I looked up, how long did it take for the Great Wall to be built in China? 2,300 years. So the person that had the dream of having a wall to protect China started building a wall that wouldn't be done for 2,300 years. How many of us have even tried to do something that's going to last 40 years? Or take 40 years to build? I mean, we get so impatient if it doesn't take two weeks to build something. But they had a dream and knew, hey, it's worth it. So generation after generation after generation knew that at some point, 2,300 years later, a generation would be able to benefit from what they did. It's amazing. It's such a different mindset than a lot of us have today. Again, if we don't get something in two minutes at the restaurant, 
We go to run to Yelp and how dare they take over two minutes to get me my food. It's not kingdom. We all have dreams and we want to go after them and I encourage you to go after them. But go after them within mind that the next generation will benefit from it. That it's not just about you, but it's about the next generation. So I, if I can have the band come up, I'm going to wrap up. About, now it's been about two, and a half, about two months ago. I went over and I taught the three to five-year-olds classroom in the other building. Man, your three to five-year-olds are so much fun. They're amazing. I, and I do that not because there wasn't anybody else to do it. But I do it on occasion because I want to invest in the next generation. That I want to actually put feet and hands to what I believe about investing in the next generations. And I so love our staff. Because every one of them, I didn't think about it until this week, I started thinking about them. And this is not something they have to do at all. It's not part of their job. It's not something that we require of them. But every one of them that are on staff serves in our children's or youth department. They give themselves, they invest themselves in our children and in our youth. Without, it's not a requirement at all. But they know the value of generations. They know the value of investing in the next generation. That them as staff members, what they do to build their ministry has to affect the next generation, not the current one. And your staff does that. They're amazing. And I applaud them so well that they have that mindset that it's about generations. So how do we make this practical? What do we do with it now? There is one very practical way that we can do that here at the mission. And that is to actually invest in the next generation. Actually put your feet and hands to investing in them. That building over there has been here since 1988. 1988. And it was built with children and the next generation in mind. That whole building is built so that something can be invested in children and youth. Our office building is actually designed to break out, be able to break out walls so they can be classrooms for kids. That whole building was designed for the next generation in mind. And it's our responsibility to invest in them. Which means you got to get your feet and hands in that building. And in those classrooms. See, David affected the generations not because he thought it was a good idea. He actually did something about it. He didn't just say, hey, Solomon, bless you. I encourage you to go serve and build this temple. But he actually put his feet and hands to it. He went to war to build the treasury. 
He went to war to protect the land so that they would be able to build the temple and have the resources for it and have peace. See, Solomon, God gave Solomon wisdom to handle the riches that he received. And then he expanded on it. But I, don't, I think we almost have a concept of Solomon that he was poor before he got his wisdom. And then because of his wisdom, he became rich. When he became king, he was extremely rich because David invested in the next generation. Why don't you stand with me? I didn't preach this so we can get children's workers. I preached it because it has to be a value of the mission. And the way that value is expressed is by that there's people in those classes training and loving on and influencing our children and youth. That is how we practically live this out because we can have a great philosophy for it. We can talk about generations all we want. But are we actually going to do something about it? Are we going to actually take our time, not be in this amazing facility, and experience amazing worship once every month or two to go over and invest in our children, invest in the next generation? It costs David to invest in the next generation. Please don't have the mindset of Hezekiah. I've been there, done that. The mindset of, oh, I just need to come and be filled. I need to be in this building every Sunday to survive my week. That's the mindset of a king that only can think of himself. So have a conversation with the Holy Spirit. How can I invest in the next generation and do what he tells you to do? If he doesn't tell tell you anything, go sign up to be in a classroom. Go sign up to check somebody in. There's so many things that you can be involved with over there. Can we do it? Can we actually put feet and hands to the next generation? Because God honored David 13 generations later. Will 13 generations from now be speaking your name? because you chose to invest in them. So Holy Spirit, teach us how to invest in the next generation. How we invest our words, how we invest our actions, how we invest our finances, how we invest our energy so that the next generations can live out our dreams. I don't want to have a dream that stops with me. 
This church has a dream beyond my lifetime. The mission is a dream beyond the lifetime of people that have dreamt it. What we experience today is because the generation before us dreamed of a place that can house the presence of the Lord. That can be a place that can have encounters with Jesus. A place where people can come and be healed and get a miracle. We are a house when somebody needs a miracle, they know where to go. I've been told countless times, I ask people, why did you come here? They're like, I needed a miracle and I knew I could come to the mission. So Holy Spirit, we say, come. Teach us how to be generational, how to embrace the generations, all generations, so that our dreams will go beyond us. So Holy Spirit, teach us now. Jesus, we say that we are yours and our kids and the next generation are yours. And we will build for them in this house. I want to pray for a couple people, for some people. I was um, Friday in here we do uh, worship and prayer in here every Friday for this weekend for the weekend and so I was kind of asking the Holy Spirit who should we pray you know what should we go after in prayer today and he said simply this the ones that have come hoping that either what they need healed or their miracle gets pointed out So if you need, if that's you, and you came hoping that somebody would pray for you, that somebody would call out what you're dealing with to be prayed for, today's the day. Today's the day for your miracle. So if you need a miracle, whether it's physical, financial, whatever's going on, but you need a miracle, I just ask that you come down front right now so we can pray over you. That you've come hoping for a miracle. That you need a miracle. Come on down. Come on down. Because he sees you. He knows your need. He knows the miracle you need. And he's a God of miracles. So if I can have the ministry team come and lay your hands on them. So Jesus, oh, you're so good. You said you came to set us free. You came to serve us. So Jesus, come right now into every situation that we open ourselves up for miracle right now. In Jesus' name, miracles 
Where bone needs to grow, backbone will grow. Cartilage, nerves, organs. Right now, in Jesus' name, be healed. Come in right order. Everything in your body right now will come in line with the DNA of Jesus. Complete healing right now. That every situation that is impossible, that you will come in like a flood and make it possible. Right now. You said it's harder for a rich man than a camel going through it an eye of a needle but you didn't leave it there because in the next line you say but with God anything is possible so Jesus we hold onto those words that you said anything is possible so right now we declare the impossible to happen right now in Jesus name so let's worship him right now. Let's let's hail our king right now. Let's worship our king right now. Because he's worthy of our praise. If you're down here and you don't have someone pray with me, praying with you, just wave your hand. I mean, we want to make sure everybody has someone praying with them. So the worship team is just going to keep worshiping, keep letting God be God right now in your situation. Don't leave until you're touched by Jesus. Lunch is out at the back property. Enjoy that. Have a great week don't want to miss next week i'll be speaking again and then we got easter which is in two weeks with georgian banoff but next week we'll see what god has for us because he always does love you